welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. It's just been such a thick presence this morning. And uh, most of worship, I was just weeping. It's kind of how my soul responds uh, to the presence of God. Especially because when Pete's here, he pitches the songs in a key that I can't sing. So, <laughs> I used to be able to, but um, um, I just hear the whisper, don't you? Yeah. Of the, the, the leaves are blowing, friends. Jesus told us that you can't see the wind. You can only observe the effects that the winds have. And part of discernment really is to make sure that the leaves moving is the wind of the spirit, not some random squirrel up there. Um, But uh, the wind is blowing. The whisper of the spirit is thick in this place. And I think it's appropriate, Darren started us off uh, last week with uh, consideration of this text of scripture from Isaiah that then framed a larger conversation from uh, Exodus in, in this new thing that God is inviting his people regularly into. And the point that I think he made so well last week that I want to just underline again is that it's only a new thing from our perspective. God's not about new things. He's about old things. He thinks the plan that he started off with in Genesis 1 is actually a pretty good plan. And that's why he's going to renew it, restore it, reconcile us to that core reality. What happens is that along the way we get locked in our places. We start to mistake rest for recreation. And we get stuck. And we stay there. And then all of a sudden God has to disrupt us. He has to um, unsettle the nest in our Egypts so that we can be borne out on eagle's wings. Now, that sounds like a glorious image to us. But the truth is, when a baby eagle has to be born on eagle's wings, it's only because it refuses to fly. Mama has disrupted the nest and made it uncomfortable so that the baby eaglet just launches itself in self-defense. And that's how they learn to fly. And on the way down, she watches. No, that one's not going to make it. (laughs) And swoops down and catches that eaglet on her back. That's what it means to be born aloft on eagle's wings. He's not going to let you crash and burn, but you might feel like you're going to crash and burn. And the reason he does that is because you would never leave Egypt if he didn't. And as it turns out, you know the story. I mean, from last week, the reason they needed that new thing is because they had spent 400 years getting used to prison. And it had now become home. And they wanted to go back there numerous times in the 40 years following. Yes? Wanted to go back. Garlic and leeks. Good good idea. Let's, Let's do that. We, we, and by the way, it, it, this, 
story, Paul tells us, is, is, is paradigmatic for us. It's, it's what happens to us all the time. And uh, the passage I look at this morning is this invitation to say, what does it look like to be um, um, uh, uncomfortably comfortable? To, to, to be content where we are, but be on the alert for the whisper of the Spirit, for the invitation of the Spirit, for the, for the new thing that God wants to do in me, but that is really part of the old thing that he's always been doing all the time in everyone. Do, do you know? And so we look at, 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 at one of the heroes of faith, um, Genesis 2, just to set the frame, Genesis 2 sets the story, we're built from the dust of the earth into our lungs is breathed the breath of life, so we'll always live with the tension. Brothers and sisters, you will never find a balance between material and spiritual. It's always going to be tension. It's always going to be this, 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 this fluid state of being. And the challenge is that we are built for a place. The Garden of Eden was made for us. We are built for it. But what ends up happening is that we choose to disconnect from the source of our being, you know this, and prove ourselves unreal enough to live in the garden that was built for us. We aren't solid enough for Eden, using C.S. Lewis's language in The Great Divorce. And we find ourselves wandering still longing for place. So we set down roots everywhere we can. We try and manage the locations and make it feel like home. We put wall-to-wall carpeting in the, in the tent and hang monets on the walls of canvas as if those decorations would make it a permanent dwelling place. No, you're not built for any of the places between here and home. You're not built for them. But that doesn't stop us from trying to make every place we are home. And so God comes in and whispers, as he did to Abram, you ready to go? The leaves are beginning to stir. The wind is beginning to blow. And we want so much for it to be a squirrel. So I can stay right where I am and not be disrupted in my, in my carpeted exile. And so he says to Abraham, verse 1 of chapter 12, go from your country, from your people, from your father's household, to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those then who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you... All people on earth will be blessed. The reason, as Darren pointed out last week, that we know this story is because he said yes. We don't know the stories of the hundreds of people that God asked in Ur of the Chaldees who said no, who mistook the 
stirring of the leaves for a squirrel who missed the voice. We don't know their stories. In fact, it's interesting, the name Abram is the first name we have attested in other, other literature than biblical. It's the first name in ancient history. Thousands of years old, this name appears on Stella and various other rock formations. It's fascinating that his story, his name, is the first name that we find in the biblical record that is recorded elsewhere. And so um, I hope this stays on. If you guys lose me, let me know. Um, and this has got to be, um, it, it, uh, it's impossible to emphasize in a culture that was defined by community how outrageous this call, if any call was possibly a, a call of, of the squirrels, this was it. Because to leave your family, to leave your property, to leave your place, remember Cain, chapter 4? The book of Exodus, uh, Genesis, he was anxious about being driven from his place because he felt that if he wasn't anchored in place, that everybody would regard him as a vagrant. Everybody would kill him. And now God is calling to Abram to do exactly that thing, to leave the defining realities of your life, to leave the place where you can point back to and say, I'm from there. And the identity that comes from being from there, even if it's just an Ur of the Chaldees, which is 10 minutes north of Hammett, nobody goes there. (laughs) Ur of the Chaldees is not a place that you want on your birth certificate. It's a great place to be from. But nonetheless, it was home. It was who he was. Listen, it was who he was. We become defined by the places we are, whether it's as a church. We are a different church because we meet in Franklin than we were when we met at Cohiba. We're a different community of people. And we'll be a different community of people wherever it is next that we go. Place inevitably affects the shape of the culture of a community. Inevitably. And that's not, that's not a bad thing. It's an is thing. Except it's a bad thing if we want to be defined by Ur of the Chaldees, by what we used to be, by where we used to go. When we moved from Cohiba, it was like, oh, my kids don't smell like cigar smoke anymore. (laughs) How about that? Kawabunga, dude. That's really cool. You know, we become a different place, but not as edgy. It's important to some churchgoers, apparently. (laughs) Leave your country. Leave your people. Leave your father's house. In a culture that was communal, he was asking him to commit societal suicide to leave everything that had defined him. And he wasn't just leaving his past. Can we be clear about this? He was asking him to leave his future too. Because who you were is who you will be. What you did is what you're going to do. What your daddy taught you is what you'll teach your children. And God is saying to him, leave. 
Leave, leave all of the defining realities of your life. Leaving, leave your past experiences, because that's how we do it, isn't it? We're defined by the moments of encounter that we have had. We enshrine them, and then we idolize them. And then they become the anchors which drag us inexorably down into disappointment. Because no past experience with God is intended ever to be the metric of future encounter with God. But we do it all the time. Because we've got the books. We've got the podcast that commemorate the past moments, don't we? And then we pray, do it again. And God is saying, why? I got stuff you guys never even thought of. Are you in? No, no, we want, we want nostalgia. <laughs> and Abraham, Abraham, I mean, he's got to have been some loser. I mean, don't you think that he had nothing better to do on a Saturday afternoon than say, oh, okay, I'll go. where are we going? I'll show you when we get there. Oh, oh, okay. Right? It's just this crazy invitation into a yes and a keep on, keep on saying, because it's not a one and done yes, it's an ongoing lifetime of yes. Do you, do you see? It's not a first date, it's a marriage. Yes. And you become a different person because of the yeses along the way. You become a different person. I'm a different person because 45 years of yeses to my marriage to Judy. I'm a different person. Abraham did not end up the way he started out. So here he begins with this unbelievably jarring moment where he is invited to trade everything he has known for a single thing, a relationship with the God whose voice he has heard and begins to identify. And with that comes this outrageous promise, this, this, this outrageous awareness that this is not about going someplace. I'll show you when we get there. It's about the journey. It's about one step at a time with a hand firmly clasped by the hand of God. And that journey is the point, not where we're going, who we are with. It's the relationship with this God who has called us, not where he's leading us. And this is so frustrating to people who live in the tension of the material and spiritual, isn't it? I, just show me where we're going. Are we there yet? We're all four-year-olds. Have we arrived? It, it's, 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 it's like one, one time back in the, back in the day when I, I went uh, on, a, on a day hike with some friends of mine out of Calgary, we drove early in the morning, left at 4, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and ran up to Canmore and took a, 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 up in uh, uh, one of the small mountains in Banff National Park, southern Alberta. Gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. But, but they're just really deceptive on a day hike. Because we're, we're climbing, we're climbing, and I can see it up there. Okay, hey, we can do this. We can summit, have lunch. And then gently, no, that summit was a ridge. And, and I was blinded to what was behind it by the ridge that I saw. Anybody know what that feels like? 
We see the point of arrival thinking that that's the point of arrival. (laughs) And it's just one more stop along the the way of the longer journey. So here, Abraham, you're invited not to go anywhere in particular. I think it's significant that when Abraham finally does get to the land of promise, the first piece that he property that he owns in the land of promise is a cemetery. It's a graveyard in which he buries his wife. Boy, if that's not paradigmatic of how God invites us not to make place, home, because our home is finally wherever it is that he is. So he invites Abraham into this outrageous promise, I will make you a great nation. And I'm sure maybe at that point Abraham's looking around. You know, it's the kiss cam. I mean, is it us? Is it me? Is it me? Yeah, buddy, it's you. I will make you a great nation. But I left everything that I could have been great at. I left all of my stuff. I left, I left my name, my place, my property, my people. I left it. Yeah, stick with me. I will bless you. I will bless you. Now, let's be clear. The reason I will make your name great is so that you can be and be in such a way that blessing flows out of your life. It's really important that you catch what's happening here. The Hebrew is even more evocative in this than the English translations catch. I will make your name great, not so that your name can be great. That's incidental, right? Because if you think your name being great is the goal, you'll never get there. The reason your name is great, the reason you will have notoriety, the reason that your name will be repeated 5,000 years from now is because I will make you to be And in your being, blessing will flow. It's not just that you will bless. I bless you in the name. No, all of that too. But it is your existence out of which blessing will flow. It is your being. Jesus, by the way, picks this up and says, I want you all to be salt and light. Same principle. You're being absorbed into the world as individual particles of the image of God will, by virtue of your being absorbed into the world, transform it like salt does, like light does. So Abraham, I want you to go for a walk with me. And along the way, you're going to become something. You're going to become something, someone great. And that greatness is not for you to treasure and write your memoirs on. That greatness is a platform on which your very being will bless the communities in which you find yourself. Now, Abraham's going to have to learn how to do that. Because he hears this, and just like you and I, he's starting to write checks on the bank account of his greatness pretty quickly here. He's he's, he's not, it's going to take him a few years to figure out how to walk with God. 
He's going to have to slow down to walk with God. God doesn't move at a quick pace most of the time. And it's very frustrating for those of us who know better. Anybody else found yourself with a God that's just a tad slow on the pickup? <laughs> Nobody, just me? No, of course not. We, it's like the timing sucks, God. What in the world are you? And he invites us into this, into this. No, 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 no. You need, oh, the, see, the deal is if I become great and then I become a, a, a conduit, a channel of the blessing that I receive, that, that's a fairly quick flow through. I receive and I give, I receive and I give. Oh, wait, this isn't about receiving and giving. This is about receiving and becoming. Oh, that's going to take a week or two. That's going to take some time. That's going to take a lifetime of becoming so that my very being exudes blessing so that there's Wait behind my words of blessing. Do you catch the point that he's trying to make here? So I want you to, I want, let's go for a walk. I'll show you where we're going when we get there. And along the way, you will become such a kind of person as I can trust. As I can, I can, because we will find a way to market the blessings we have received. Will we not? We, we're always in a monetizing mode. How can, I, how can I leverage my greatness to get greater greatness? Not realizing your greatness is instrumental. And when you start leveraging it, you lose the instrument. Do you see what he's inviting Abraham into? You can hear this a few chapters later uh, when, when, when Abraham has exhausted a few of the options for the fulfilling of the promise, I'll make your name great. And part of the way he's going to do that is with the birth of a son. And, and Abraham's watching the clock tick on his life and thinks, I got to get on this because this is, this is not looking, looking good for God. I got to protect his reputation here. I've got to act. This must be something I have to, and you know the story. He takes a detour and all of the things, but finally he hears this word, a year from now you will have a son. And Sarah bursts out laughing at the ludicrous nature of this finally, moment. And that's what they call the boy. Laughter. Isaac. And then after that moment, remember God's on mission, three of them. Word has come up from this little village down the road from you. Maybe you've heard of it, Sodom. And it's sister city, Gomorrah. And the land is just pleading for justice. The city itself, the dirt, is calling out for justice. The people who live in it have trashed it. And the land is crying out for justice. And I'm going to go down and check it out. And you can hear the Wheels turning. It's one of the few times when we get a glimpse in what God is thinking. Just before he has said that, 
he says, shall I tell my friend Abraham what I'm going to do? I think I probably should, seeing as how through him all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Let's see how he is doing on learning to be a blessing. So he brings Abraham into this. I'm going to go down and check out Sodom and Gomorrah and find out if it's as bad as the land is reporting it to be. The hospitality industry has fallen on hard times in Sodom and Gomorrah. Hospitality, remember, the primary virtue of the ancient Near East. Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't nuked because of some sexual perversion, so-called. It was nuked because they were not hospitable to strangers. Read Ezekiel. That ought to give us a little bit of pause on it. God cares a lot about how we treat foreigners, how we treat strangers, how we treat people who don't belong. And Abraham apparently has some familiarity with Sodom and Gomorrah. He knows what God's going to find when he gets there, and so he starts to plead with God. Well, hey, 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 just be, well, on your way out there, what if you find 50 people that are just? Will you nuke the city and kill 50? No, that's a good point there, buddy. I will know. 50, I'll, we'll be good. Uh, 45? Hmm. Okay, 45. 40, 30, 20, 10. You see what Abram's doing? He's being a blessing. He's interceding for a city. He is taking the pain and brokenness of the city. He is not saying of a city that is failing dismally, sick him, God. Get him. Rain down judgment on their horrific hides. Make bad things happen to those bad people. He's not praying that, let alone in Jesus' name. He's praying, this isn't like you. Mercy's triumphing over justice, right? And God, you can see the smile on his face as his friend Abraham, okay, I think he's starting to get this. I can trust him with a blessing. I can trust him to be such a person as blessing will flow from. You see the story. And then you'll notice this. He goes on and says, look, I will bless those who bless you. Oh, that's how this works. That's how this works. It's not you that blesses, it's you that in being who you are is a blessing to the communities and people respond to your being there by blessing you. And then I can bless them who bless you for being a blessing. Do you see how the algebra of blessing works here? The calculus of blessing works. It's not receive and give. Yeah, you can do that too. But at the end of the day, you want to transform a culture? Get into it, be soaked into it, be absorbed into it in such a way that the culture is redeemed just by you being there. Salt and light, right? And then as folks start to notice that their culture is better because you're shining a light, 
They bless you. And then God blesses them. It's amazing how the system, oh, and by the way, there's going to be some folks who don't want to align with you. They're not your business. I'll take care of them. He uses the language of curse. I think it's important that we understand when God uses the language of curse, it's not something he does independent of what somebody else does. I.e., you do the bad thing and I'll curse you. You do the good thing and I'll bless you. No, the good thing is the blessing. We're not punished for our sins. We're punished by them. Life doesn't work if we do things out of alignment with the flow of God's blessing. Do you see? So when Abraham is in a place and living in the flow, if you will, it's a lousy illustration, but you get the point, of God's blessing, and people are in alignment with Abraham, i.e. blessing him, how can I get some of that? They receive that same flow of the blessing of God as blessing for them. But if they are misaligned to God's blessing, if they are oppositional to it, if they are hostile to it, they receive the very same flow of blessing as oppositional to them. It's called consequence. Their life, God says, at the end of the day, won't work very well. They will wonder why the car doesn't start having put water in the tank. They're not being punished for being dumb enough to put water in the tank. They're living the consequences of putting water in the tank. D- d- does that make sense? So, we, and, and by the way, please, no, please notice, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Oh, wait, that's not my job. It's not my job to curse people who curse me. Oh, man, that eliminates about half my Facebook posts right there in a heartbeat. It's not my job to nuke people who disagree with me. Is that, is that fair? Not if you want to be a blessing. Not if you want to absorb people's pain. Not if you want to learn how to intercede in such a way that you don't simply regurgitate and vomit back out the pain that they have layered on you. You need to become absorbers of the pain of other people so that it can be transformed by your being and not simply echoed back out in revenge. Genius. A new thing. No, that's actually the thing that's been in place. It just feels new to us because we haven't ever tried it yet. It's like G.K. Chesterton said. It's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It's that it has been found difficult and left untried. We talk about the price of discipleship. Can we talk about the price of non-discipleship for a minute? It doesn't end well. Do you see? So Abraham is invited into this moment of intercession for Sodom and Gomorrah as a test. Is he blessable? Will he leverage his blessing to his own advantage or will he leverage his blessing to the benefit of those around him? Oh, he's going to do it for the benefit of those around him, even those that might not deserve it. He's willing to put his life, his blessing on the line for their sake. Okay, I think I can use somebody like that. 
And in a few years, Abraham will become so familiar with the voice of God that when one morning God says to him, I want you to take your son, your only son, your only son whom you love, Isaac. And I want you to sacrifice him to me. He is so familiar with the blowing of the wind, he doesn't even for a moment consider it that it might be a squirrel. He gets up, he takes his son, he takes fire, he takes wood, and he heads off to Moriah. Along the way, he is so confident of the character of God that he lets the servants know, we will be back. Along the way, when his little boy complains, Father, where's the, where, here's the fire, here's the wood, where's the sacrifice? God will provide the sacrifice. What has happened here? Abraham has become a blessing. He has been so transformed by his relationship with God so trusting of God's heart is he that he is willing to pass the test, not for God's sake, but for his own sense of self, for his own sense of understanding. Oh, buddy, you got it. Good on you. Do you see? Now, here's the deal. Some of you have heard the whisper and you recognize it's not a squirrel. It's the voice of the Father. He's inviting you to a yes that is very threatening to you right now. And I don't know what it is, but you, as soon as I said that, you, oh, yeah, crap, this is me. Hmm? As we come into response here in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to take that seriously. I'm going to ask you to step out from where you're sitting, standing at that time, our, our worship team's on their way back here in a moment. But I want you to, I want you to listen. And then, then there's a second piece that I've, I, I think is also true. Some of you heard and said yes a long time ago. And you've been on the journey. You really have. There has been shaping of your soul. And now you're at the, you're at the place where you're looking at the t- And then you realize, oh, wait. There's still a whole vista of yeses still to be said. It doesn't get easier to say yes, friends. It doesn't get easier to say yes unless the relationship with the Father has been so transformative that you recognize without a shadow of a doubt that the whisper is one of love. And you need some help to continue to say yes. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.